What's up, everybody? Welcome to the first artist of data science happy hour of the new year. I want to wish everybody a very, very happy new year. I'm so happy you guys are here. Um, the waiting room is filling up. I'm going to let everybody trickle on in. Thank you guys for joining me. Hope you guys had an amazing holiday season. Hope you guys were able to get some rest in. Um, and also, Happy New Year to you all. Um, so, so good to be back and hanging out with all you guys here. So, um, welcome, everybody. Welcome. Tom, how you doing? Christian, Eric, how you guys doing, man? Hey. Awesome. Right on. Oh, man. How was everybody's, um, how's everybody's holiday season? Were you guys all on lockdown where you were? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're on on lockdown we're supposed to be off of lockdown today and i was supposed to get my first haircut in four months tomorrow but they extended the lockdown and now i'm unable to get a haircut so i have to wear a hat um because you don't want to see what's going on under here man it is it is, it is madness i guess none of y'all from texas huh? we don't we don't lock down around here <laughs> can't tell texas to stay still man that's for sure I hear you, Harper. That's the same thing in Toronto. We are still waiting for things to open up, but I think they extended the lockdown again by like a few weeks. Oh, nice. Well, I mean, hopefully people are adhering to the lockdown and not doing what we did here in Manitoba, which is breaking all the laws and increasing our uh, rate of infection. By the way, everybody, if you can join me in wishing Giovanna a very happy, happy birthday. It was her birthday, I believe, just a couple of days ago. I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before. All the days have been blurring together this week. But happy, happy, happy birthday to you, Giovanna. Thank you so much. You're the best, Harpreet. Thank you all. It's my pleasure, man. I just wanted to say to Christian real quick, I am from Texas. I'm talking this way on purpose, but I actually did used to talk to this way. And uh, but I I do think that y'all is just proper English. I'm just going to stop right there. Some words are created for a reason. I love that Texas accent, man. I don't know if you guys could tell. I have like a if 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 I come up with my California accent or not. Um, I'd like to think it's a nice, smooth and sexy Californian accent. Um, but hey. I'm 100% with you on y'all just being proper English. I I 100% agree. That's just what it is. I use it all the time, man. Y'all is one of my favorite word. When I started to say you guys, I felt really strange, but I say it depending on my company. Yeah. That makes sense. All right, y'all. We're, we're here. We're, we're ready to, to help people out, help get their questions answered. I see a lot of new faces here. Uh, welcome to the, to the happy hour. Uh, to all the new faces, just a heads up you will be automatically added to my email list and you'll hear from me every Friday from my newsletter. So uh, stay tuned for that. So, Hey, let's, let's take some questions, man. Um, I'm looking into the chat. Um, don't see any questions yet. Let's, let's go like this. If anybody has a question, why don't you go ahead and take the floor. And then while that person is speaking, feel free to drop your question right in the chat. You could even just say, I have a question. That way we can hold your place in line um, so that we don't have to, you know, pause and all just, that stuff. Yeah. yeah just, just real quick. I don't have any questions. I just want to say that uh, this is my first time here. Happy to be here. Happy to join you guys. My name is Wiko. I know it's it's spelled weird. 
it's pronounced weird too. I didn't make it up, but I just kind of took it around with it. So happy to be here, y'all. Wiko, well, welcome, my friend. Welcome. I'm happy you're here. Happy you decided to, to come and hang out with us. So where are you from? Are you actually in Texas as well? I'm not in Texas currently. I was actually born in the Philippines, but I was raised in San Antonio. So uh, at the moment, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and actually planning on moving back to uh, Austin um, in June. So really looking forward to being back uh, back home. Yes, sir. I see you, Thomas. Yep. Really looking forward to being back home and uh, back close to family and all that as well. So that's cool man it's awesome yeah in the uh, the city i live in winnipeg has got a huge population of, of filipino people and punjabi people so the neighborhood and specifically it, it's it's diverse in that way i know one word in philippines uh, or tagalog um but i'm not going to say it because it's like the most expensive word uh, but, yeah, sorry, sorry uh tom i just want to make a public confession i'd rather you guys find this out from me then from somewhere else, but I did my undergrad at UT Austin, and I did all my graduate work at Texas A&M. Yes, I'm an academic bastard. Please don't judge me. <laughs> Aren't those like really good schools, though? I don't know if anybody else is going to appreciate that, though, Tom. Uh, you got to kind of be from Texas to understand what you just said. Yeah, right. <laughs> you explain it for me, Christian, because uh, I've been away a while. It, explain the modern version of what i said it'll it'll need an analogy tom and i usually have to think about those for them to be any good so maybe maybe uh Wico can help us they're serious rivals harper yeah. like the biggest rivalry in the country and they make jokes about each other all the time so what i do i did the most socially unacceptable thing i went to both of them <laughs> I, I could put it i could put it this way uh, the company that the big company i used to work for everybody was an aggie they all wore their aggie rings aggies for a and m uh, the company I went to after that, everybody's UT. They don't mix. Even in the companies, they all get hired in together or they get rejected together. Well, it's a safe space here. None of that, none of that college, college hatred or violence here, guys. Just, just all love family of data science. Um, so yeah, if anybody has questions, let me know. Somebody had a question here about ground rules for questions. I mean, you know, just keep it appropriate. Um, but yeah, d definitely no, no real ground rules or anything um so so definitely if you want to take the floor uh then kata romana go for it we'll have you uh we'll have you open up with questions and then while he's asking a question guys just type in i have a question into the chat hold your place in line that way uh so it is uh it is on you van kata yeah uh, hi everyone and uh, thanks for giving the opportunity i would like to know um, any ground rules uh, for this uh, question and answer session? Yeah, not just what I mean, anything, you know, appropriate. So go for it, man. Like no real ground rules. Oh, uh, is that okay if I need some help to find some consultant uh, here or uh, any job opportunities or looking for connection? Uh, what is the motivation for the audience? what they want to take it away from this one. I know I, I attended a few sessions, but uh, as maybe Asian uh, shy, shy feeling inside, but still I'm a little bit uh, after third or fourth event, uh, I managed to come forward to speak to you and yeah. everyone. Yeah, no real, no, no, 
the real agenda, so, I guess. Like, uh, I guess it's just questions. If you got questions related to the job search, if you got questions related to maybe even technical questions, just any question related to your journey in data science would be appropriate. Uh, okay. Yeah. In terms of like, I don't think there's any recruiters here that have, um, uh, maybe there might be recruiters here. I don't know, but um, in that case, like, you know, if, if anybody so, does have openings at their yeah, company, yeah. you can message Venkata. Kate's in the house. Bye. Kate's in the house. Oh, yeah. Actually, this, yeah, I go with uh, other people in Malaysia. Uh, very difficult to call Venkata Ramana. So people are calling me Dr. Ram here. I am basically Penang, Malaysia, Southeast Asia specific. Penang is the city, uh, Southeast Asia specific, Silicon Valley of uh, Southeast Asia specific. I mean, this Penang is uh, one of the beautiful cities. And surrounded with many MNC companies, particularly silicon companies like uh, Intel, AMD, the presence here is a long time. Means about 70 over years, uh, all these MNCs are present here. And I worked for Intel for uh, 11 years. Now I start up uh, my new company, AI Tech Park. So, uh, yeah, I, we want to do data as a service and AI as a service kind of thing but i have a hard time to find the right candidate to hire in my company uh yes though we are a small in nature and we have a big vision so that is where i connected through linkedin harpreet and so many other experts are doing this uh, social service to connecting us to make sure yes we are here to help you if something is really need some consult uh, advice or something and these people are doing great job for the society Recently, we started a program called uh, One Year uh, 100% Job Assistance Program, where I would like to hire 15 people. We will be charging 4,000 USD for one one year program, which is uh, almost equal to the any Australia US Master's program in the data science. Now, I am in the process of uh, finalizing the student students come my future partners and staff. This is right now we are doing, yeah, we want cool. to act. So, so like, if you just want to get to your question, if you got a question, go for it. But if you're just trying to like advertise your platform, that's all good too. If anybody here is from Malaysia, feel free to reach out to uh, Dr. Ram in, in that case. But um, if, you, if you want to just quickly get to Yeah, my question, question is here, what questions I can ask, what, what not, ground um, rules. Yeah. Like, do you have a question related to any technical project? Do you have a question related to your job search? Do you have a question related to uh, any concepts that you have run into that you're having trouble with? Um, I mean, just any question related to your specific journey in data science, uh, definitely not a platform for you to advertise any of your services. That is definitely not what this is meant for. Um, exactly. So, yeah. Thank so, you. Yeah. So if that's Questions what you're trying to do, the... yeah, then. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, Okay. So you can take time to to think of your question. Yeah, yeah. I can come back to you and we'll keep it moving. Thank you. Uh, so let's uh, shout out to everybody else here. We've got, we got Kate is in the house. I hope you guys had an opportunity to listen to the interview I did with Kate. Um, open the year with that, with that interview it was a really fun time. We recorded a while ago. So uh, I'm glad that I was able to get out. Finally, we got Joe in the house. Joe, thank you for swinging by Jennifer is here as well. So a lot of awesome people. Um, let's, let me go to the chat real quick. I see a question here from uh, Eric. Eric says he has a question. Go for it. 
Yeah. So I've been, I'm trying to understand when I would use a class in Python or like a, or like an analysis or something like that. Cause usually it's, usually I've been able to do everything I need to without a class. And recently I was programming something and I worked in using a class and then I ended up ripping it all out and building it without a class and it worked just fine. So what, what is the proper application of using classes? Yeah. So I'll, I'll probably punt this to somebody that's a lot smarter than me. That's going to be Joe. But the way that I kind of um, think of it is like a class is like a blueprint for other stuff. So if there's like an object that I need to make a blueprint of, and then I need to do things with that object, then I would use a class. But if there's just something that I need to do something to, then I would just use a function. Right. So that's kind of the way I, I think of it. Uh, Joe. I think you said it actually really well. So yeah, I mean, a class is a, is a blueprint, right? So it's a copy of something. Uh, your alternative, really, if, if you wanted to stick to a pure functional approach, you just write functions, which it sounds like you're doing right now. Yeah, that's what I ended up um, doing. Yeah, so that's... So is there like a, like a specific, I'm trying to think of like a specific example, like would it be if I was like, well, I don't know, some programming, some sort of an application that's going to, I don't even know what that object would be that I would need to then create the object to then do some stuff or create an object and then create another version of that object that has different, you know, attributes to it or something. Do you have like a, I mean, does anybody have an example? If not, I'll keep digging, but I've had a heck of a time finding it. I, I, I recently used them. Um, so first of all, hi everyone. I'm, I'm John. Just I'm new here. I'm from the UK, from London. Um, so Eric, um, interesting question. I I recently kind of used classes um, specifically for a consumer credit loan optimization model. So what I did was I created a class that basically could generate a balance profile for a cohort of loans, and then I could feed that class into an optimization. Uh, model that you know just came as a package from SciPy later down the line. So that's kind of an example of where I created a class to use that. And if you want, I can link it to I can link you to it. It's on it's on my GitHub page. So that'd be wanna, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, uh, drop me your, drop me your email. I'll, I'll send that across oh. to you. I can you drop it yeah. drop it right here into the into the chat. That way, um, other people can take a look at it as well. Thank you very much for that, John. And all right, yeah, no problem. Yeah, man. Thank, great, great, insightful comment. Thank you, uh, Eric. Cool. Did, that, did that clarify anything for you? Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Cool. Well, yeah, I, would say, I would caveat and say if you need if you have an application that requires state, that's where um, like a stateful logic. That's where you want to use classes. If you don't really care about state and you want things to be immutable, you know, in a purely functional sense, and that's where you would avoid using classes and just use functions. So. Okay. So if now on that note, though, on that note, you have to be if you're going to use a functional approach, uh, you want to make sure that your code um, flows in an immutable way. So the variable assignment, for example, you can actually get caught up in that. Um, so you want to make sure like uh, it's called idempotence. So when your code runs once, idempotence, idempotent code. Just spell it like it sounds. Um, I, I, used to, so, I, I say item potent. I, I guess I've been saying it okay. wrong. I, I, Maybe I've been saying it wrong too. I, I, I <laughs> um, but in either case, yeah, I mean, you just want to be, you know, if you're trying to write things in, in a way that um, uh, flows well, just keep that in mind. So. And just Perfect. for clarity, um, when you say state, uh, you said kind of maintain state. What What did you mean by that? Yeah, so when you in programming, when you instantiate a class, right? Like that instantiates, like like you say, a blueprint of that particular class for that particular use case. So when you when you instantiate a new class, it creates a separate version of that class, and that has its own state. So when you when you change variables, 
for that within that uh, object for that class, those variables um, follow that uh, or tied to that class. So, so it's, it, it maintains the state for that class. If that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. Right on. Thank you. And Eric, actually, um, I remember that I was talking to Andreas Kretz in the interview I did with him a while back. And one of the questions I asked him was like, what's his favorite question to ask during an interview? And it was around this concept of what is a class? And he gave a really cool uh, answer to that. So definitely check that out if you've got, if you haven't already, and if you got time, I think you might find that um, insightful as well. So let's go ahead well, and let's, let's go back to, um, to John. I think John is next in line. Um, hi, everyone. Yeah, thank you. Um, just a quick intro on myself. Um, I'm from the UK. I've been working in banking and finance for about seven years now. Um, currently, I'm not working as a data scientist. I'm in pricing. Uh, so there is quite a lot of analytics and predictive modeling and behavioral modeling done in that. But I'm trying to break into the field. So the part I feel that I'm kind of lacking now is the kind of software engineering data engineering side of it. Um, primarily a lot of the models I build are kind of for exploratory purposes and to kind of guide decision-making. So my question is on your advice on breaking into the field, how deep should one get into the data engineering and software engineering side of it? And would you advise specializing or would you advise kind of trying to cover um, topics generally? So, yeah, I I'll say that, you know, my, my background is pretty much like an academic statistician. Like I came from actuarial sciences, biostatistics, and most of the work I did was, was very academically rigorous. And I had to teach myself from the ground up how to code and how to write software. Um, it, it was tough, but it becomes fun after a while. Um, and it's very it's easy to learn if you just keep practicing it. And there's a package in Python that I found recently um, that I wish I would have found earlier, or I wish that it would have existed earlier in my career. And it's called Kedro, K-E-D-R-O. And this just makes it really, really easy just to write good, clean pipelines and good, clean software, essentially. Um, so I highly recommend checking that out. And there, it's made by McKinsey's Quantum Black. And there's a YouTube channel called Data Engineer One, and he does a really great walkthrough of this Kedro package. Um, so I think if you if you kind of start from there, it'll make it easier for you to understand how to write software specifically for working with data. That would be that would be my recommendation. Does anybody else um, have any tips with uh, with respect to this question? Perhaps um, perhaps. Uh, We'll go to Tom. Actually, when I first heard the question, which John, uh, just nod if I get this right, you wanted to know how deep you should go into understanding data engineering in your yep. data science. Yeah. And I was going to say, I was pretty sure Harper to go, okay, Joe, go ahead. <laughs> but, uh, and Joe, I want you to completely tell me you disagree if this is wrong, but my answer to this question would have been just as much as you need to. Uh, I, I'm lucky in my current role. I get to rely on fantastic data engineers. I don't have to think about that stuff too much. Okay. That makes sense. It's a pretty big field. I would say start with the use case that is most applicable to what you're trying to get done. I, I would say data engineering is at least as big of a field as um, data science. So 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's so much to know, right? And uh, I'd say definitely just start with the use case and go from there because otherwise you'll... Um, and then there's software engineering on top of that. And to be a good data engineer, I will, I will pick up on one of your points. I would say to be a good data engineer, you should definitely be a good software engineer. I, I don't think you could write good production-grade code without having good software engineering skills. So... That's, that's interesting. So like if you kind of narrowed it down to like focusing on, for example, working on a cloud platform, is that something that's kind of more achievable and more markets will? Um, yeah, I think so. The, the, the clouds make it a, ton, a lot easy to, um, to get up and running. That's, mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I would say that there's also kind of the danger that the, the cloud gives you a lot of guardrails, um, but you're not going to escape the cloud these days unless you're working in some field where they don't do cloud, which I think is increasingly narrowing. Um, learning those skills will just help you in general. Uh, cloud skills are extremely marketable. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's cloud certs you can get. I would also say, though, get experience as you're getting the certs because it's like a cert with no experience is just a cert, right? So, yeah. yeah. But there's a lot of great managed services out of there uh, out now, right now, too, where I would say, like, you don't... The, the days of, like, spinning up a Hadoop cluster on your own, I would say, like, that's those days are long gone, thank God. So just keep it simple. Hit me up with questions, so. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Hopri. That's, um, that's good. Definitely, man. I'm glad that helped. I'm wondering if anybody here has gone through that same type of problem where they kind of had to teach themselves the software engineering skills from the ground up. And if so, how do they approach that? If you have, just feel free to unmute yourself and uh, let us know. Uh, I wanted to put in a quick plug. That's not an answer to your question. Sorry, but someone was asking coding questions. I wish I'd have read it when it first came out 20 years ago, Pragmatic Programmer. I found that just from the wonderful people that mentored me in my coding, I learned a lot of it, but those two guys, Dave and Andy, that wrote that book, that, that book's been strong for 20 years. They've kept it revised very well. It's worth going through. It's quite entertaining as well. I feel like it's a little bit funny. It, it's a good book. I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, next question I have on the deck here. By the way, um, there's a few people who entered in just recently. Thank you very much for coming. If you guys have a question, just type in, I have a question into the chat, then I'll hold your place in line. Next up though, I've got Matthew Blaza. Matthew, how's it going? Doing well, Harpeet. How are you today? Good, man. Good. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I just have a question to everybody. Um, does any Has anyone been using Julia for um, analyzing data frames or Go or anything? I'm just seeing, I'm just curious if anyone's actually done it because I have a data scientist at my work who is mentioning um, that Go and Julia were faster when it comes to processing speed. So I was more curious than anything else. I know that, Ju- I think is it Julia that's Andrew Ang's favorite programming language or that might be Octave, I can't remember, but from, like I've never used Julia, but from what I've heard and what I've read in like research papers and stuff, apparently it is a lot faster. Does anybody here have any experience working directly with Julia? If so, let us know. I'll add this real quick. I've needed speed many times in my career and I've been using Python for about 20 years. When I need speed, there's always something you can do to make Python going faster. And big, big one is um, NumPy. And if you're working with big matrices, there's always another trick like uh, sparse matrices, you name it. But um, I, I'm not even trying to badmouth Julia. I'm just saying I wouldn't make a decision based on speed because now PyTorch and 
uh, TensorFlow will both uh, pull in even multiple GPUs when you need that extra fast training speed. Awesome. Well, I don't know if that answered your question or not, Matthew. Hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody's silence is indicative of the fact that not many people use Julia in this squad. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you, Thomas. Really appreciate it. Cool. So next up, I got a question from Naresh. Uh, I like this question a lot. Naresh, are you still around? If so, uh, go for it. So Naresh, or if you're still here, uh, un- please unmute yourself. Uh, if not, I could read the question out. So Naresh's question is on approaching and tackling goals. So he says he tends to deviate sometimes and completely lose track of the tasks that I need to work on due to work priorities, et cetera. Any suggestions or ideas? Interestingly enough, like I, I linked to a video in the newsletter today, and that video was pretty much how to handle those situations where you don't accomplish all of your goals. So for me personally, like I've got a bunch of goals and I got a lot on my plate and it becomes very, very difficult sometimes to um, confront all of that all at once. So I tend to prioritize in terms of the thing that is going to get me to where I need to be quicker. You know what I mean? So like I've got a bunch of stuff on my plate, but there's some things that need to be acted on right now. And I think actually um, Kate might be a good person to, to talk about this because she recently just read the book that she recommended to me as well, Your Next Five Moves. And I think that really applies well in a situation like this. So Kate, any insight on that? And then after Kate, we'll go to um, Giovanna. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to share my thoughts on goal setting. I was just laughing because somebody, I missed who it was. They said they're disappointed that I don't have bar charts on my walls or anything like that. So um, I'll need to I'll need to get a better wallpaper, I guess, or something. But on goals, yeah, I feel very passionate about goal setting in general, writing things down and also actually getting things done. Uh, I don't always accomplish my goals, but I tend to send set really big ones. And I commented in the chat uh, my thoughts briefly. But one thing that really helps me personally is having an accountability buddy that really has a lot in common with you, but is not really competing with you in terms of your business, unless you're open to that kind of competition, that's great as well. But someone that really gets you and can basically put you on the spot, like, hey, why did you not complete this? You said you were going to, what's your excuse? And holds you accountable and you do the same for them. If you can find someone like that, that wants to grow together, kind of at your same level, super helpful. Um, the biggest advice I can give is actually writing your goals down very clearly and defining them because a lot of people walk around truly being unhappy with their lives. But when you ask them what they want, they're like, oh, I don't know. I just want to be happy. Well, if you write down the 10 things that will make you happy, then you at least know, you know, when you've accomplished those 10 things and did they make you happy? If not, you know, write down 10 more things. But I, I really feel like crossing things out once you've accomplished them Uh, really helps me as well. But I know people are wired differently. So you kind of have to find what motivates you and what drives you. Um, And just to go back to the beginning, when you're setting that goal, it has to be a goal that you truly care about accomplishing. Because if you didn't care about it in the first place, chances are you're not going to stick with something for that long unless you're really passionate about it. Absolutely. Excellent advice, Kate. Thank you so much. And to the point of writing stuff down, like I've got a physical calendar and on this calendar, you'll see there are marks throughout the end of the year. And this is because these are goals that I'm trying to hit and I have it marked down here. And then I also journal every morning. The last three days of my journal is me just getting my thoughts straight and in order. 
in terms of what needs to be handled next, what's truly the priority, what's truly going to move me to where it is that I need to get to. Um, so I'd love to hear what Giovanna has to say. Then after Giovanna, we'll go to uh, Nicholas. Thank you, Harpreet. Um, okay. Uh, all our goals, I think in general, uh, should be associated with our personal vision statement that we are talking about a lot. Looks like Giovanna went frozen. Um, we'll give her a second to, to get back. Um, if it's okay, her and I work together a lot. I'll speak till she comes back in. So what we're finding as we help our group is if they have a clear vision statement, they can test every one of the smaller goals that they set against that vision statement and just make sure it aligns with it. I'm pretty sure that's what Gio was going to say. And yeah, thanks so much, Tom. I'd love to hear what uh, Nicholas has to say. So controversially, um, I'm not a big fan of goals insofar as I profess systems. Um, I like the idea of writing down a goal and then almost forgetting about it. And then like to think about the systems, like a set of repeatable actions that I can carry out each day that will move me towards some, not even an end state, continually long time improving. Um, but I find focusing on goals so difficult. It's this kind of, even when you make them specific, it's usually this kind of tenuous sort of overarching big picture idea. Um, it does nothing for me at all. I like to break everything down into the smallest unit activity that I can um, and build systems that let me chip away at that long term. Um, I typically end up forgetting about my goals, um, but find myself achieving them anyway through focusing on systems. It's a little bit of the same thing. It's just a different way of approaching it, a different way of thinking about it, but it works for me. I absolutely agree. I, I do think that systems do work better than goals and systems could be anything from just routines that you have set in place where you're just automating kind of your life. So for example, like I've got a very automated morning routine that just helps me get through stuff and it just opens up time for me to, or mental space rather, for me to think through stuff. Uh, Jennifer, I'd love to hear how you approach this. I love goals, have always been a goal person, completely agree. There are goal people, there are non-goal people. I married one of those non-goal people. It's the funniest thing to look at. He has no goals. He's accomplished all sorts of things. But to Eric's point on the book about habits that is over in your text, um, if you break your goals into habits, then you have your why. Why are you doing this? Why do I get up at five to work out? Well, I have a goal, but it's the habit that turns something into action so that you actually get things done. Um, the other thing, Nuresh, from your question in there, it sounds like there's a lot of distractions for you at work. Narrow your goals for the day into really simple chunks, like three, what the top three things you need to get done that day. That that helps me substantially. I'm like everybody else who's got, you know, I've got all my goal trackers, I've got my habit trackers, blah, blah, blah. But those three goals, get those done. Eat the frog. Hey, our, our pre, this kind of reminded me, I'll just make a real quick comment. Um, kind of generally echoing what, what's being said here. In my, in my own experience, it's been the case where if you want big changes or you have some sort of big things you're trying to accomplish, like number one expectation is for people that I'm going to put down the goal. I'm going to do step by step, but like first you got to get your head around the fact that you're going to have to go through some massive action and probably some massive pain. Right. So I'll use a, 
an experience from my own life a few years ago. I was always like a skinny kid, hard gainer, right? So I, I finally decided one year, I was like, I snapped. I got to gain weight. So I went to, um, you know, I won't go into the details, but I ended up eating like 6,000 calories a day, going to the gym an hour and a half for five, six days a week for 12 weeks straight. And like, I hated it. I hated the whole thing. But to Jennifer's point, it caused a whole set new set of habits to where by the time I got to the end of that 12 weeks, I was able to back off, didn't have to eat six. I don't eat 6,000 calories anymore. I had to back, I could back off the gym and all that kind of stuff. And then you kind of just, it's maintaining that is so much easier because you've got the habits in place. Your mindset is totally different and you can take something, at least in my case, I took something that was like the gym and you can apply that everywhere else in your life because it's the same pattern. Every time you want to make a big change or a big improvement, there's an upfront pain toll that you have to pay. And then it gets easier after time and you can go on to the next thing that you're going to hurt yourself on. Thank you very much for sharing that, Christian. I absolutely love that. Um, this is this is a great topic. I love this. And if anybody else has something to contribute, please uh, take the floor. Giovanna, sorry, uh, you had gone mute on us because you've frozen. Um, but while somebody gets, uh, if anybody wants to contribute, please do. Um, but Naresh, I do want to say that on LinkedIn Learning, actually, there are a few interesting courses that you might want to take just so you can kind of get into this um, a little bit deeper, there is a course on uh, pretty much developing habits of action, time management fundamentals, habits for success, stacking habits, creating productive habits. So there's a lot of resources on LinkedIn learning that um, just type in habits and a bunch will come up. They're short, but they should really get it um, really clear for you. Um, Nir Ayal, who wrote the book uh, Indistractable, he's got a course on there as well, short 30-minute course well worth it so definitely check that out does anybody else um want to contribute to this question because i think it's a fantastic question yeah just uh just jumping in on uh what christian you were talking about and, and every everybody else with habits and atomic habits coming through the uh coming through the chat that's one of the books that i'm kind of you know going through right now um and it talks about kind of like three levels uh, goals uh systems like uh nicholas you had mentioned and um i believe the center one was like identity you know, so I, I kind of went through a similar experience a while back, Christian, um, exactly the same thing with working out, you know, and uh, I kind of went from like this little like gamer kid, you know, and I figured that, you know, if I took a lot of this like time and energy of like trying to get good at something as inconsequential as a video game, you know, regardless about how much I enjoy it and all that and like spend it towards something productive, then I had thought that I could get a lot of stuff done, you know? So just like you had mentioned, I had kind of changed all my habits, changed everything around it. And um, in the end, after X amount of time, it just became a part of my identity. And now at this point, several years later, it's, I tell people, especially when they're um, like, it's New Year's, right? Happy New Year, everybody. A lot of people got uh, real big um, New Year's resolutions and all that. So whenever uh, a New Year's resolution comes up about, you know, like fitness, health, working out and things like that, I always just say, just do it to a point to where if you don't, you feel like something's wrong. At that point, that's when you know that it's kind of like become a part of your identity. It's a part of, you know, a, a general thing that you're used to doing. And if you miss it, then something like feels weird. So 
that's that's where I'm at now. I'm sure that's where a lot of people are with uh, various other things as well. And um, that's definitely what I'm working towards in the field of, you know, like programming, data science and all that. So I absolutely love that. And that point about identity is just a matter of just telling yourself that I am the type of person that does this thing. Right. And you just have that loop running in your head. Like I am the type of person that wakes up at four o'clock every morning and gets shit done. That's just who I am. Like that is my identity. Absolutely. Um, Another thing that I, I've done is, um, speaking of distraction, I gave my distraction a persona and identity, and I call that distraction, I call it Feltig, F-E-L-T-I-G, which is all of my distractions in one name, and that is Fireside, because I always log in and check my uh, downloads for the podcast, email, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, Feltig dirty dirty nasty monster battle his house every day uh, it's a recurring battle so uh, Naresh, if you're still around i hope that was helpful um we'll do it if anybody has anything else to add on that point please uh, go for it otherwise we'll move on to a, a very quick thing just uh it took me the only reason i'm chiming in harpreet is it took me too many decades to learn this avoid burnout i realize sometimes I start a new thing and I try to act like, oh, I can be a marathoner in this tomorrow. And that is just not smart. You got to start in small intervals, take a lot of breaks until you kind of get in shape with that new habit. And remember, there's an experimental period. There's a getting used to it period. Be gentle and patient with yourself. But if I just try to be consistent and avoid burnout, I find huge habit changes that way. And it takes something like 66 days to create a habit, to install a habit. First 21 days are just destruction of your old self. The next 21 days are hell. And then the 21 days after that is like where you start like, okay, yeah, I got this. I'm, I'm in it. Um, so Naresh, thank you very much. Great question. Let's move on to uh, Juan. Is Juan still here? So, I don't think Juan's here, but we'll still, we'll ask his question. So Juan's question is, what do you guys think about a six to 12 month boot camp from UT Austin or Purdue made in association with Simple Learn or other new online courses platform? Um, I've never looked at either one of these programs, so I'm not going to really comment on that, but just boot camps in general, man, like if, if, if that is kind of your thing, if that's how you prefer to learn, then go for it. Um, I know the the biggest benefit I think with boot camps is just that guidance, right? Like, okay, here are the things you need to study in this order, and here's the material for you. So that's that's an absolute benefit. But if you're anything like me, you just like to figure things out the hard way and just grind through and um, learn on your own. Does anybody have any experience with boot camps? And if so, what what was your experience? Uh, maybe I can give some contribution. Yeah, I my first approach with machine learning was uh, through a bootcamp. It was a community bootcamp, so it's maybe when everything that is uh, organized by a community has another sense. Uh, and and I think this is it was amazing because. The philosophy of caring and sharing was um, through all the, the bootcamp. And it was great because 
they gave us the, the fundamentals for machine learning and the coaches. I think the most important thing for me were the coaches that were there because it's not only the material or the lessons or the, the webinars, but the coaches, because maybe you can, uh, the, there are different levels inside the bootcamp, so the, the, the learners. So the coaches, I think are key for, for these bootcamps. So I think if, for me, from an experience, I think if you go to, to see who are the coaches and if they have experience working on projects of the industry that you want to get into, I think this is important because they can share information for you to, to do your first uh, projects for your uh, portfolio. That's my, my contribution. Absolutely agree with that. Thank you very much, Giovanna. So I guess I would say when it comes to boot camps, go for it. I don't think there's much... I mean, there might be some difference between the boot camps, but I think in terms of content and material learned, it would be the same. What it comes down to, like Giovanna mentioned, is the individuals that are behind the boot camp. So maybe if you could do some research and some kind of background checking on the instructors for that boot camp and just kind of see if maybe you can find YouTube videos that feature them. Maybe you can get a, a, a sense of their teaching style and see if that kind of gels with you. Eric? Yeah, so... Um, back before I started my master's, I was throwing out like, should I do a master's degree? Should I do a boot camp and all that? And, um, the biggest thing for me, like I knew, like looking over everybody's curriculum, everybody teaches the same stuff, everybody, and you can get it all for free online too. If you, you know, if you're dogged and you know where to look and you work hard and all that, for me, it came down to like network. It came down to like, at the end of this boot camp. Are you going to get me like, am I, I mean, am I going to be able to get a job myself, but are you going to help me or not? And I talked to one guy who, you know, he's like, well, at the end of this boot camp, uh, you know, you'll be, let's see, there was like, we want to get you LinkedIn ready. And then if you do a really good job or something, you'll be LinkedIn competitive. And I was like, that means I'm going to have a nice LinkedIn profile, which I can do myself for free. Um, and so, you know, I was wanting to make sure to check, I checked online looking at their um, like their placement rates for the different boot camps. If they only have had eight students and they have an 87 and a half percent placement rate, that's really not that impressive because it's such a small sample size. So I would just say like thinking about like that, that network is so important and it's not something that I, I wasn't really, I wasn't connected at all to the data science world before. Um, so anyway, that's just something I feel really strongly about so keep that in mind awesome yeah thank you very much and one place you could do that to kind of i guess look at reviews is is coursereport.com so that's a great platform for you to go check it and uh, learn more about that austin yeah um i was going to comment just as someone who is not going through a boot camp myself but who my partner is going through a boot camp for ux ui um, and part of it kind of comes down to how you are as a learner. Some people are willing to go out there and uh, they have um, the ability to go find all these resources, put them together in a curriculum or take a curriculum that is already created. Other people, um, like Giovanna said, they want that the coaching or that mentorship, this someone from the industry that can help um, either give some advice or they can bounce ideas off of and 
I think that's part of the reason why she's going through the boot camp is because that's the type of learner she is and the structure she needs. She needs that structure versus trying to pull it together herself. So that, that's the other piece that I would um, think about it coming from a different perspective of someone not doing it, but having someone else do it. Right on, man. Thank you very much. So one, if you're t- listening in on the podcast or watching on YouTube, hopefully that um, answered your question. Um, man, I'm going to, I want to say your name is, it's not Juicy Off. <laughs> Wico. Wico, yes, Juicy Off. <laughs> Go on, man. Wico. Yeah, I wanted to, I just wanted to chime in on that with uh, Austin, uh, Giovanna, and Eric. I'm, I'm currently in a boot camp as well. I'm at the tail end of, a, of the Flatiron Data Science Program. And uh, one of the big reasons I ended up jumping in there is um, the, exactly like y'all are saying one, network, two, you know, coaches and Three big thing for me was was community. You know, uh, like Eric, you had mentioned in chat. You know, real real people, real world, help uh, help to solve real problems. You know, for me, a big issue I had following like um, like various Udemy courses beforehand was I don't know about y'all, but for me, you follow you you get a you jump onto a Udemy course, right? You're like, cool, I'm ready to I'm ready to learn some new stuff. Let's go, let's go, and you jump in, and like the second chapter or like the second episode or whatever in you're following everything and then you hit an error you know and me at like my past noob self at that point in time was in no position to handle any kind of errors right and i'm just chilling in like my complete isolation in front of my screens you know so uh, a big thing as and i know to like to me now and uh, a lot of you others who I'm sure have, you know, years of experience under your belt, it sounds kind of silly, you know, like, oh, it's a small error, Google it, look it up real quick, make a small tweak and you're good to go. But for me in particular at that point in time, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely needed, you know, like a coach or really just a community of others, you know, to, to talk things out. So that's, that was a big part for me for sure. We go. Thank you very much. And, yeah, honestly, man, like that, that happens to me all the time. As a matter of fact, it happened to me earlier this week when I was in on a Udemy class and I was doing something and just like you mentioned, ran into an error. Um, but yeah, I had to, I had, it took some time to debug, but it's like, you know, distracts you and gets you down the wrong path um, for, right. for a while. So uh, thanks for sharing that. So let's go to the next question here from Akshay. Akshay, go for it. Hey, everybody. So I'm learning R and Python simultaneously these days just to kind of have fun and compare how both both programming languages are. And my question was specific to the visualization part of it. Um, so Seaborn is really great with the classes that you can have an object-oriented approach in designing visuals. But I find R ggplot to be easier to just add that layered code. Like you pick a data set and just start layering it with like geom plots and lines to kind of make it an attractive visualization. But when it comes to space, um, I find that Seaborn plots are more space consuming and also take up a lot of in-memory. So I wanted to get an idea how everybody else in this community is using these visualization tools and what is your take on the pros and cons if I have to decide which one's better. Kate left at the wrong time. Visualization <laughs> expert. Um, so, first of all, I just want to say, Ku Ping is in the house. My man, Ku. Ku Ping. What's up, Ku? Man, so so happy to have you, Ku. Do you want to do you want to tackle this question? I don't know if you got in on on time to hear what he was talking about, but pretty much the question is around 
Seaborn uh, in Python or ggplot2 in R. I'm just going to say that I, I don't spend a terrible amount of my day or you know much of my time doing visualizations, but I, I use Seaborn just because that's that's what I know, and I know that's really not answering your question at all. Um, so I'll punt this over to Ku. Hey, hello everyone. Good morning. Uh, I just woke up on me actually. <laughs> can, can you hear me? Yeah. Ah, okay, okay. So it's like, I, I just woke up so that's why I never turn on my video. It's like really, really, very bad. <laughs> but anyway, uh, looking at all the different uh, packages. Yeah, when when I started using uh, Python, right, there, there was all these different packages that came in and all. Um, but actually, um, what, what I would say to take a good, better perspective, right, uh, is to look at the design of your visualization first. That one is more important. Uh, how you design a good one, then after that, you look at the different packages that suits you. And I think one more thing about packages, uh, which package to use and all this, right, is whether the codes comes to you uh, more intuitively as well. Um, if, you, if you feel that, hey, um, this particular package, the codes, uh, like coding out the design, uh, of the visualization, that one is, is uh, intuitive to you, then you should go for that particular package. But having said that, I, I think one, one thing that I come, come across for the different uh, open source packages is like some, some of them, you have a certain visualization, some of them you don't have a, a certain visualization available. Like I think, I can't remember which one was it, but there was one package that doesn't even have a pie chart, although I'm not a, I'm not a supporter of pie chart anyway. But uh, it, it's an example to say that hey, certain packages, they offer certain uh, types of visualization. Um, so to sorry, to summarize what I what I said is um, the design of the visualization is more important first. Then after that, flow down to the package that you use and to choose a package that you use. Right, will be how intuitive the code comes to you. Uh, then I think that will help a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Actually, did that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. I think in, it it really depends on the use case too. But it, it's helpful to have those insights to decide how you want to design the visual and then pick up the approach. So thank you, cool. Right on, man. Hey, no uh, problem. <laughs> so also shout out to, we got Brandon Quash and Ben Taylor in the house. Thank you guys so much for joining. Happy to have you here. Happy New Year, gentlemen. Uh, next question I have in line here is from um, Ashit. He's, uh, Ashit, are you still here? If, if so, um, go ahead and unmute yourself and ask your question and then I'll, I'll put this question to uh, Ben and Brandon to, to take the floor with go for it are you still here hello yep yeah you are how's it going go ahead so basically I just actually these days I was working on this project so I find that like coding is that modular coding is important but I find very difficult to learn I mean to do coding. So how, how can I improve my that modular coding or like, I mean, I can make myself master on that. I mean, how can I improve? So um, before I punt this over to Ben and Brandon, I will say that there's one point in my life when I did not know how to walk. And you know how I learned how to walk? I just started doing it and practicing it and I got better and better. So that that's that's going to be my, my trite answer is just, just, you just do it. You just do the thing and you'll get better. Uh, ben, let's, let's hear what you got to say. And then we'll go to Brandon. Yeah. I like this question because my background is not in computer science and it's, it's in chemical engineering and chemical engineers do not typically make good programmers that, you know, that's not what we learn in school. So um, I think find a language. I, 
I know the R versus Python comes up a lot on these calls. I think I, I, I dig on R, but I'll say they're both good. So take a look at R, take a look at Python, find one that's intuitive intuitive to you. Something that can really help is just the IDE. So the some people that use Python like PyCharm, um, some people like like Vim, they like uh, Jupyter Notebooks are really nice. Um, the other thing that I think is really helpful are there's uh, there's coding tutorials on YouTube and you'll you'll watch a few of those and they'll be very intimidating they'll be overwhelming they won't be engaging and then you'll find some depending on the speaker where it's amazing so i don't know if you guys have noticed that like i noticed that early on with deep learning it confused the hell out of me and then i found a few people walking through it in theano on youtube and i'm like oh my gosh this is super simple this is really straightforward but it it was really the the teacher so find find a teacher on youtube that clicks with you and you get super jazzed and i think you'll you'll get stoked and then buying a book is really good too like there's a lot of really good Python end-to-end um, programming books for machine learning. Can I give a quick uh, tag on Ben's excellent answer, Harper? So some of you may know, I haven't really talked about it much. I'm learning Transformers. Sorry, that was a joke. And uh, man, there's no textbook. And now there is, thank God for Dennis Rothman. But I was wading through these papers and I just couldn't get complete answers, I felt. And then, just like Ben said, I I was just worn out one night, and I thought, I'm going to check YouTube just for anything and on Transformers. And, oh, my God, there were some people that worked really hard, even for a month or two, to break down the attention is all you need paper. Several people may have these beautiful animated illustrations of the data flow through the attention mechanisms and feed-forward blocks, and it it just totally transformed. After I watched about four of them, I was like, yes, this is great. Hey, Thomas, would you mind sharing, like dropping a link to that uh, YouTube playlist or channel or something like that in chat? Because that sounds really interesting. I'd love to get into that as well. I have a special price for you, Pico. No, really, I will, I will drop a, a link to uh, my sheet that I keep that has uh, my learning resources. And it's growing all the time, so I'll put that in the chat. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. If I could just add something from my experience. When Harpreet mentions about just do it, just code, just just do it every day, that is true, but I'd like to add at least learn a little bit about how to do it properly. Um, Similarly to something that Ben said, I come from engineering um, with no software programming background whatsoever. Um, I'm entirely self-taught. And I took the approach of chip away every single day. Um, I thought I was hot shit until I actually started to code in work, in a work environment, collaborate with people. And as it turns out, I was terrible. Um, my best practices were worst practices. Um, my code was horrid. It was difficult to read. Um, it, it, was, it was a complete shower of shit, excuse the language. It was, it was terrible. Um, and luckily, I didn't spend all too long in that environment, um, which is probably for the best for everybody involved. Um, I would stress taking the time to maybe learn a little bit about the best practices around coding in general, um, which is something that I didn't do. And I paid the price for for quite a while, relearning good habits over bad. I think it's a good point. And the one thing I think to add to that is um, if you can find a mentor or somebody who's a bit more senior to um, review your code and and help you through uh, a lot of the pitfalls, um, that's good. And there's nothing better um and working with somebody who's a lot more experienced with you like the old saying goes like iron sharpens iron right so i mean if you want to get good at writing code the best thing to do is surround yourself with people who are really good at writing code <laughs> so you'll have no choice but to get really good or laughed at or both <laughs> so 
Um, that goes with anything actually, like whether it's sports or, you know, we we're talking about habits and all that stuff the other, uh, just a bit ago. I think, you know, on that note, like becoming proficient at anything is like, I personally found just surrounding yourself with the very best people you could find makes a huge difference. Um, I try and find the best people in any discipline and just make friends with them. So. Yes, absolutely. Great, great advice. Great advice from both of you guys. Uh, Brandon, any, any tips on this? And if anybody else here is self-taught and wants to share what they've done, um, I'd love to hear that as well. Yeah, that's all right. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, go for data camp. If you can afford like a subscription for a year, uh, they have different topics and the topics are differentiated by the track that you want. So if you want to be a data scientist, a data engineer, or a data analyst using either R, Python, or SQL, you can choose different tracks. And there's a variety of topics that are covered with both guided and unguided instructors. So if you want to get your hands dirty on coding, I think that's your best platform to try different projects and learn every day. And there's also a mobile app, which helps you kind of meet your daily goals. Uh, so they'll throw you in quizzes that you can answer based on what you learned in the previous day. That way, you know what you, you are applying your skills and not just like following through the tutorials. So that's something that has helped me this year. To add on to that data camp thing really quick, um, I only know this because I work at university, but if any of you have an academic email address, you can get, I think it's three or six months access to the fully paid data camp package for free um, through GitHub's, I think it's like an academic partnership program or something like that you just register with your academic email address through github and then you can get three or six months free access to data camp if that's of use to anybody yeah i go ahead and add my piece here so yeah i'm also self-taught like everybody like many people here uh in i majored in bioengineering with a minor in chemical engineering i got uh, started my first job and i just I was kind of guided towards using Python. So then I started picking up Python. And what I did was my first project, I, I did things so that I can get the deliverable, deliverables done. The second project, I kind of knew how to do it if I were to do it the old way. But then I was curious and I thought like, oh, I wrote a bunch of functions before. What is this thing called a class? What is object-oriented programming? So I started doing the whole second project in object-oriented programming. Uh, and then after that, I moved up into working with teams. And like today I work with an integrated team. There's a data scientist and a software engineers, et cetera. And then working with the software engineers, they're, they're sort of the professional coders, if you will. Then I learned a lot from them too. We do code reviews, the whole thing, right? So, so just your regular work experience, as long as you um, take that approach where you say, I know how to do it the way that I know how to do it, but what if I tried it slightly differently and maybe I'd learn something along the way? Beautiful, wonderful advice. Um, thank you very much for that. Uh, so Florence asking a question about scraping the entire internet. I'm really not comfortable having that discussed on my show. There's discussions in the chat. If you want to link up with anybody, please do that. Um, but uh, talking about scraping the internet for user profiles, I mean, I just I don't want to talk about that on the show. That just that just sounds kind of like it could get me in trouble. So I hope you hope you understand. Um, hey, yeah. You mind? Can I jump in and say one quick thing? As Absolutely. A yeah. Fairly, as a fairly new uh, learner of Python um, myself, I'm thinking about like what was I doing just a few months ago that helped me get to to where I am because I'm still way early on that in that path. And I would say there are kind of two main things. One is 
I thought to myself, okay, well, I have, I have a data set. What questions do I have about this data set? The first one I ever did was like a hacked passwords data set. And I just thought like, well, I have some questions. How can I turn them into something? And now I need to learn the Python to answer those questions. I didn't sit down and watch a video about how to use pandas to move data. Instead, I started Googling how to do the stuff that I was trying to do. And I feel like that was kind of putting the horse before the cart as far as business sense goes um, and thinking about thinking about coding in terms of business. So that really helped me. Um, not that I did anything spectacular with that Python or that passwords data set. I, it was terrible, but I learned stuff. And then the other thing was like, I like posting, you know, I'll post something on LinkedIn and share a snippet of code and people will give feedback or share an idea or ask, you know, what is that thing? Or, and I know they do because, you know, they'll comment about it or they'll comment about my comments because sometimes I write kind of goofy comments in my code. Um, so anyway, that's a good way. If you're not sure who to like, who to um, ask for feedback, just put it on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, I'll, I'm happy to give you feedback, whatever, whatever I know. Quick thing, heartbreak. And I loved Eric's answer. And Ben, good comments. I agree. I have to play some weird music sometimes to get through the coding day. But I literally did learn a ton from my stupid little reinforced learning agent uh, in grid world. I programmed the visualization, visualization myself. But I noticed how much better it learned when it explored a lot at the beginning of its life. And it started to occur to me as I look back when I started going to multiple references, that's when my mind expanded about how I could do things better. So what am I getting at? If you take time and you're becoming a better programmer, better coder journey, just take time about at least 10% of your time to explore new techniques, new methods. I remember one time I just decided I'm going to pay for an Udemy object-oriented programming class phenomenally good idea, really helped me. And I've done that occasionally on other areas, but I don't mean to come off like some uh, learning growth guru. I'm not, but I am trying to be more self-examining to think, how can I do better? And that multiple exploration, multiple references thing is, is huge. Like check out for a while and just go find a good to teacher somewhere. Awesome advice, everyone. Thank you very much. Also, shout out to Matt Housley. I didn't even see you there, my friend. Uh, Matt, I, I think I'll have you tackle this next question from NS. NS, are, are you still here? Yeah, thank you. So my question is, when should I move to the learn, to the next thing? So like now I'm learning machine learning. I'm following the Andrew Ang course on Coursera, which is, I believe that it's an amazing course. But whenever I search for jobs, I see like people ask for TensorFlow, TensorFlow which is more about deep learning. So my question is, when should I move to deep learning? Or should I just learn a little bit about machine learning and then move to deep learning? Yeah, when to move to the next step? That's my question. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, the reality of data science jobs, and I'd like to hear other people chime in on this as well, is that there's just a whole spectrum of different skills that different jobs involve. And the term data scientist has been so diluted that it can mean deep learning, it can mean SQL, it can mean business logic, it can mean clustering more conventional data science techniques. Um, 
I think at this point, I'll actually move back to something I said in the chat. I posted an article by uh, Atul Gawande, who's the surgeon who now works at uh, Amazon on healthcare problems. And he's written extensively about human performance, about training, mostly from the vantage point of his experience as a surgeon. Um, I would advise you to find a coach, actually. So a coach's purpose isn't necessarily to be a teacher per se, but it's to like they do do some teaching, but they also are going to guide your career progression. And then also, and unfortunately, this is maybe not super helpful advice this moment, but you have to find some place to get a job, even if it's kind of an entry level job, so that the job itself can guide your career progress. And that unfortunately, that, that is hard advice to hear because I went through that too when I was transitioning from academia to doing data science and eventually data engineering. Getting that first job is just really, really tough, but it's just invaluable in terms of your evolution and career. Um, in the meantime, you're kind of waiting till you can get that first job, till you find the opportunity. Uh, what are you interested in doing? Do you want to be doing deep learning in the future? Do you want to be doing data engineering? Uh, what kinds of things are you the most interested in? And then just focus on those. If you don't find deep learning super compelling, then focus on something else and try to build your career around that. If you do, then spend a lot of time in TensorFlow, I would say. I mean, I was uh, chatting with a guy the other day who was, um, uh, he, he writes recommendation algorithms, like that's literally all he does. He's really good at it. So I'd say too, it's not just like a type of, um, you know, algorithm you're dealing with, uh, you know, it's, it's the problem that the algorithm solves, right? Uh, that approach. So, I mean, this person had written uh, recommendation algorithms for uh, Twitter and um, Twitch, one of the places. And I mean, that's, he's probably one of the best on the planet at that, right? And that's, that's kind of cool. So it just depends. Like, it's not like a cookie cutter thing. There's people that I think you see this in finance a lot. There's there's a lot of the clients. Uh, ben Point knows about this. People who are really good and specialize at, at driving certain models. So you gotta find what interests you. Yeah, definitely. And to that, I'd add that you actually don't need to know everything. Like, there's there's no requirement for you to know everything. Um, like like I know precisely zero things about deep learning, and I'm still you know head of a data science department so that take that um for for what it's worth but i'd love to hear what maybe what ben brandon and um, um anybody else has to has to say about this topic i think deep learning can be a big distraction for people starting out because it's so sexy it's in the news you see reinforced learning playing games and so we would try to attach ourselves to it where i think most of the business value we see in the market right now is not coming through deep learning applications even though a lot of people on this call myself included, have been very deep in deep learning, pun intended, applying it into fi finding applications to deploy it. But I, I would warn people from being too distracted by it before they've kind of hit some of the, the basics because there's not a lot of deep learning dedicated jobs out there right now, but you'll probably find 100 non-deep learning data science jobs or higher for every deep learning focused job. But it, but I'd also encourage people to deep learning is a great passion project. You know, find things on the weekend. You see something cool that comes up like GPT-3 or, you know, some of these things coming out of OpenAI, play with them, you know, be up to date on them. And um, Tom, you know, reading about Transformers, super valuable to be familiar with it, but probably not something that anyone here is going to be doing 100% of their time. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add to that. When, you know, I'm at work, we have business KPIs, right? Things that drive the business. And I try to look for ways to increase those KPIs. And if it's a rule, it's a rule. If it's 
a decision tree is a decision tree. If it can get to deep learning, I feel like that's a blessing. I mean, to get the data, that much data, that clean, uh, you know, if I can get to there, I'm totally stoked about it. But most of the times it's, how can I get results this quarter? And then a lot of times that's just going to be, let's just do some rules or some simpler algorithm. Yeah. So I'd even add to that, like if, if you're at the, so this is kind of the the advice I give to mentees over at Data Science Dream Job is if you're to the point where like, oh my God, what should I study next? I think there's probably two paths that you should take. One is go back and make sure you understand the fundamentals intuitively, make sure you understand that. And the next is think about what type of data scientist you want to be, what industry do you want to work in, right? And then find out what types of problems those data scientists are working on. You can find tons of white papers out there. Um, the, the data scientists at Airbnb, Netflix, Google, Spotify, they all write white papers. They all talk about what it is that they do. Read those, see what they're working on and find what really resonates with you, what you really find interesting and then go for that. So I, I, part of the reason I think people might get confused is because data scientist is a broad umbrella category, broad umbrella term. There's a lot of different types of roles in this field. Start with what you find interesting and pursue that. I was going to add real quick too. You can get so much mileage just by using deep learning end products. So ImageNet encoders, BERT encoders, they're already done. They did all the work. <laughs> just get access to those. You can do some amazing things where you feel comfortable without having to know very much. I think that's, to add to that point, Ben, you know, what I've been observing recently is the, um, the landscape of, of machine learning is changing too. I, I would say back in 2016, 2017, there was a big rush to learn algorithms and all that stuff. I think it's like, that seems nowadays like very much a solved problem to your point. I mean, there's still people working in algorithms, but for the most part, coming up with like a hand-grown uh, image classifier that's going to beat um, any of the, you know, the top ones out there is, I don't know, it's kind of a stretch, right? Meanwhile, there's a whole new movement of machine learning ops like that. I think that's going to be the, you know, the, the wave of the future. There's still going to be algorithm research, but increasingly the need now is to get things into production. That's very much still an unsolved problem for a lot of yeah. companies. Yeah, that's so. one, one area of interest that I've been really, really into is ML ops. And I kind of want to make that a bit of a, a specialty for myself. Um, so definitely look into that. I'd love to hear from Giovanna or or Jaya. How do you guys how do you guys think about what it is you want to study next? Whether it's machine learning, whether it's some other skill, how are you making the decision on okay, I'm here and now I want to learn something new, but there's so many things in life that I can learn. How do I how do I figure that out? Uh, I want to share that maybe uh some point I decided to go back a little <laughs> and to uh, um, go through data analysis because I realized that when I was building the models, the, we know that the 80% of the time we have to deal cleaning data, <laughs> preparing data to build the model. and. Uh, and instead of, in my case, instead of going forward, I'm trying to to be more like a, to have more information about how to be better in, in the data analysis part, because I think for me that is uh, essential in the, at this point of, of my career. And then deep learning is another thing that I'm trying to. Um, go dive deeper because it's not 
I know that is uh, maybe it's not so commercial <laughs> to to be a, a professional on that, but uh, I think it helped us to understand the algorithm and maybe try to uh, develop other skills. So for me, it's like a going forward, but try to get better in the things that are take more time, but at the same time, are valuable for our models. Absolutely love it. Jay, are you still here? How yeah, you, I'm how, here. Yeah, how do you? Yeah, I'm good. Sorry, I'm yeah. good. So the way I learn is uh, curiosity is like the one that drives me all the time to learn something new. So I learn something like a concept or a bunch of concepts. And then, you know, there's like, for example, uh, Python. That's kind of new to me. R is new to me. Everything is new to me. So I, I, for me, my problem is I like to learn everything, but I don't have the time. So I pick one thing and then one that's like really drives me crazy or curious. So I, I just learned that thing. So for example, R, I'm not very good in R, so I want to learn. And the other thing is anything that challenges me is what I want to learn because it's challenging me, right? Stopping me from getting across the bridge. So I want to get across the bridge. So I learn it. So that's, uh, that's the way I go. So if I learn Python, the next thing people talk about R, I want to learn R. And then the next thing people talk about deep learning, I want to learn that. So that's what's driving me, it's curiosity. Then that, that leads me to learn new stuff. So, yeah. I love that. That's like my favorite answer is curiosity. Follow your own obsession. Go with whatever it is that you mm -hmm. find interesting at the time. Don't just look at a bunch of job descriptions and say, oh my God, the industry in its entirety wants these skills. Follow your own obsession. Go with what it is that you're interested in. Uh, Tashi's question, what's the closest thing to happen in experience with A-B testing as a student? Uh, randomized control trials. Go to your statistics department and see if they have a class on the design and analysis of experiments. And then take that class, or at the very least, look at the syllabus for that class and pick up the book that they are using for that class. But A-B testing is simply just the design of experiments. Anybody else have anything to ask, uh, add about A-B testing and how to get experience doing that? I guess I guess that didn't answer your question in terms of experience. That answered your question in terms of how to learn it. Anybody have any um, suggestions on how to do tangible projects with A-B testing if you're still a student? Ben? Uh, no, I'm not probably not a good one for this. Yeah. I haven't done a lot of A-B testing. Based on the uh, psychometrics testing and design of experiments class I taught, I thought your answer was perfect, Harpreet. Nothing more to add, really. Awesome. So ideas for an A-B test uh, for resume or GitHub project? Um, I mean, you could, you could probably find some, if all your... A-B testing is, is simply hypothesis testing, right? So just grab any data set. If you want to do it on a clean data set, go to OpenML. They got a bunch of clean data sets there and just simply come up with a hypothesis and test it. I mean, you're not going to be doing it in a real world scenario because there's not like you're not actually randomizing things and, and worrying about sample size and defect size and power and, and your significance level and all that stuff. So um, I don't know. I don't like my answer to that. I don't know if it was good enough. Uh, Brandon or Tom, if you guys have anything to add. Real quick on the previous question, I was hoping someone else would say it, but I just feel like I can't let it go unsaid. If you're trying to really build a strong foundation in basic machine learning, 
I beg you for your own sake, learn the pipeline, learn the principles of how you lay out a pipeline that will save your proverbial ass all the time. And then that's a framework where you can always add more knowledge, more skills, better visualization, but focus on how to build out your pipeline. I love that. Thank you very much, Tom. Brandon, any um, tips on, on maybe a project that a learner could do with A-B testing? Yeah, probably not the best here. In terms of projects, I, I haven't even heard of the idea of somebody having a separate project just only on the A-B testing. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's really hard to do a, a project on A-B testing um, just because it, it's not really conducive to it. I mean, you could just do hypothesis testing and make sure you're with respect to hypothesis testing that you're understanding how to randomize people, right? You need to make sure you've got a randomized, you understand what randomization schemes are. Make sure you understand how to calculate um, power, sample size, effect size. Make sure you know which hypothesis it is that you need to test given the question that you're trying to answer. Um, and that will take you a long way. One one quick thing, Harpreet, if they're just looking for a good A-B project, psychometrics is a blast and you can do it manually. It still requires a lot of data collection and analysis, but a psychometric study is always very interesting and in demand or probably could find someone to do one for. Do you know if there's any available, freely available data sets where people can get psychometric data or is it just a matter of having to send out forms and collect data. Yeah, like I was I was thinking of conducting your own test, which is a lot of work. But uh, yeah, I hadn't thought to even look up uh, uh, available psychometric data, test data. So hopefully that answered your question, Greg. Um, so I got time for one more question, guys. If anybody wants to have the last question, now is the time. All right. Doesn't look like it. Well, hey, yeah. I have a question, Harpreet. Yeah, go for it. Um, this is something I had discussed with you. I sent, sent you a private message, right? Like what advice do people have for people who are looking to get like a mentor? Because I've seen on LinkedIn, some people coming up and saying, Hey, teach me this, teach me that. But it, it just doesn't seem like that would work. Or I might get LinkedIn connections that say, Hey, I'd like to connect with you. And I'm like, I don't know why. And I don't, I mean, I see that this person's a student, but I don't, it was a, so what, what is a good approach that somebody could come up to you and say, can you be my mentor? You know, what do they need to say? Yeah. So, I mean, I do mentoring for, for data science dream job, right? So that's a play paid platform. So I've, uh, you know, which is fair enough. Cause I feel like I give advice that changes people's lives and help them get on the track, like the right track and maybe jump years ahead of, of where they're currently at. And maybe Jay, a kid could attest to that. She's one of my mentees there. Um, so that's one, opportunity is, is going through a program like data science dream job. But if anybody was to come to me, like I get requests all day on LinkedIn, can you mentor me? Can you mentor me in it? You know, I, I'm going to give an answer that is probably going to be not liked by many people, but if you are approaching somebody and asking them to teach you everything they know or help you get ahead, you should have something to offer to that person in exchange. And you can, you can, see this idea reiterated in books like mastery by Robert green, or, you know, I'm reading reinvent yourself by James Altucher right now and any other book, right? If you are somebody who is looking for a mentor and you're just coming up to somebody and saying, please teach me everything, you know, right. 
here's the classic example. Warren Buffett went to uh, Benjamin Graham, right? And told Benjamin Graham that, please be my mentor. I'll work for free for you. And Benjamin Graham said, free is over underpriced, right? Like, no, because what he was going to teach him was far more valuable than what he could have learned on his own. So if you are somebody who's looking for a mentor, have something to offer. Um, nobody owes you shit, man. Like just because you send me a LinkedIn message and ask me to be your mentor, like, nah, man, I, I ain't got time for that, dude. Like I can't do that for you. But if you have something to offer me, like something that could help me, right? Like, hey, I, you've got a podcast. I would love to help you maybe clean your show notes. You've got a podcast. I'd love to help you make a blog post. Um, then, yeah, then that, that if, if you can do something that's going to take something off my plate, that gives me more incentive to help you. And that is my personal viewpoint. I know everybody else is, is going to differ on that. Um, but if you want a mentor, you should at least have something to offer whoever it is that you're asking to give their time, right? Because, I mean, you can't get back time, right? Like the time I spend with somebody, like I can't get that shit back, man. That is gone for good. So if you want my time, you need to give me something uh, valuable in exchange, preferably something that's going to save my time somewhere else. Um, so if anybody else has anything to add to that, yeah, Ben, go for it. Um, so we did free interns four or five years ago for a startup and we had like 20 of them. And after that experience, I decided I'll never do that again, ever. And it, be it became the, the, like the value prop exchange that you're talking about just wasn't there. But at the same time, I think I've noticed, um, I think for some people here, they get triggered if they see a hustler. So um, I don't know if you guys know Rico. Uh, he's from Germany. So Rico, he went to one of Kirill's data conferences. He's a new student. Right after the conference, he goes and talks to Kirill. And he says, I'm going to present here next year. And Kirill's reaction is like, no, you're not. Like, who are you? And he's impressed a lot of people. And so I'm, so someone like that, I would say he has lots of mentors like for him to be able to get me on the, on the phone or other people on the phone, like he's got like lots of mentors and the, the key reason is his obsession is really high. And I think for some of us, we kind of geek out about that. We're like, Oh man, like this is a hustler. And so I don't know what the best way is to show that off. I think he did it well, but I think if you can really demonstrate that you're willing to stand out as far as your work, um, I guess the last thing I'll say is um, going to data science meetups. I remember seeing people, they keep coming like every month, every month, like I'm going to be a data scientist. I'm going to be a data scientist. And eventually you kind of get this reaction where like, you're never going to be a data scientist. Like that's what I'm thinking in my head. But there's other people that they come to one meetup and like, oh, that was a great talk. And then the next month they've done so much stuff, like so much stuff on their own. And so those are the people that I do get excited about. I'm not going to sit down and do code reviews or anything, but being available on the phone, being able to introduce them. I don't know. What do other people think just about competency, like an obsession competency that triggers me in a good way. Yeah. I agree. Mean, yeah. Sorry. Go on. Go on. Yeah. No. No. I, uh, obsession's a big thing. I, I mentor quite a few people, and I've mentored a lot of people over the years in various capacities. And I would say the ones that have stood out, like they're the types of people. I think to your point, Ben, where like you know they're going somewhere, you don't know where, but they're they're a fast Ferrari that's either going to go down this road or crash into a building. Either way, it's going to be awesome, right? Like. Um, I would say the anti-pattern of, of, of a good mentee, though, is, is somebody who's like, I, 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 I always talk with Matt about this, assholes is what we call them, right? So they ask a lot of advice and they won't do anything with it. Um, that stuff pisses me off, right? Like you spend all your time giving people advice. Um, 
you know, then they just either uh, do the opposite or uh, um, just don't do anything. Right. So those, those types of people, I, I, I agree. I mean, to your point, I, I remember when you're doing the startup, uh, the intern thing uh, back in the day. And it was, I remember talking to Gonzo about it. I was like, yeah, it's you guys, are in your, your community service for like the next 500 years. It sounds like so. Um, but uh but yeah, you, you kind of know good talent when you see it, though. I think you start having a good filter after you've kind of uh, weeded out. Here's the deal. I mean, it's not to sound crass, but a lot of people don't have what it takes. It's just it's just a character flaw. You know, I don't want to say a flaw. It just is what it is. Like people, it takes hard work. Um, it takes dedication and persistence and discipline and like an interest. Not a lot of people have that. The people in this group, for example, I would say are like 1% of like the 1%. Like you're here because you want to learn stuff. You're doing this in your own spare time. Most people won't do that. So these yeah. are the kind of people I'd like to mentor, for example, or be mentored by either yeah. way. So. I love that. And I mean, and when I say exchange something for my time, like, you know, doesn't even have to be like, doesn't, doesn't have to be like, oh, I'll, I'll do your work for you. Doesn't have to be, oh, I'll give you X amount of dollars per hour. It could be something as simple as, hey, look, for example, Brandon, you're like the head of a data science department. Somebody could do something as simple as, looking at your company, looking what industry they're in, going through your company blog and maybe saying, hey, Brandon, here's, you know, I researched your company. I really admire the work you're doing. Here's 10 ideas for ways that I think data science can be applied in your company. I'm wondering if you've explored this, right? So that's that's something that that would, you know, if somebody messaged like, hey, you work at Price Industries, you guys are in discrete manufacturing in HVAC. Here's 10 ideas that I think you might like for how you can probably use data science to make better projects, right? That's going to have my attention right away. Um, and I'm going to open the floor to Tom because I, I think Tom is going to have a completely different viewpoint than what all of us had said here. Um, so, you know, just, just to, to hear a variety of opinions, go for it, Tom. Well, um, I was just discussing with a very dear friend on the side who's in the show too. I, I have no problem with what any of you have said, actually. And I, but I, I'm, I'm a little gentler about the let me Google that for you type questions because I'll, I'll give you an example. Someone will ask, should I do a master's program or just study this stuff on my own? I said, whoa, I don't give life-changing advice. But if you've come up with a decision matrix, go study a few links on how to come up with a decision matrix, then share it with me on Google Sheets, and, and I'll help you think through some other options or aspects. Now we've got a very focused question, but here's what it is for me. If you guys have followed my posts on uh, history of education and, and uh, the homage posts on these great intellects from our past whose shoulders we're standing on, there's a reason I do all that, and it's this. The generation of people asking us these, uh, let me Google that for you type questions, they're going to be the next brainiacs potentially contributing to the future of the world. The reason I love to help people that come for help is because I want to contribute to that future. And it's okay if you want to charge for it. I'm not trying to get onto that, but how do I manage the volume of requests I get? I write blog posts, I do interviews, and I save links to all those. And when someone writes me, I say, can I send you a long message? And it's just a bunch of Please think through these things. And then if those don't answer your questions, come back to me. It, it's amazing what a little bit of kindness and, and encouragement, how that will spur someone on. And I won't hear back from them for weeks. And then they'll tell me I'm here. And I think I know where to keep going, but I just wanted to 
checked back with him. Thank you for letting me know. That made my day. So there's this other side to knowing that you had a part in supercharging someone's motivation. And uh, to borrow Gio's words, we get to, we get to, if we live, I'm, I'm messing it up already, Gio. Um, we should live what we want to keep. And every person you help, at least even try to help, you get to take that with you. Absolutely. I love that. It's beautifully put. Uh, Gio, do you want to add anything to, to that comment? Um, yeah, I, I, my, my thoughts are similar to, to Tom, but I, I just wanted to, to add that uh, sometimes when people came to me to, for, for soft skills, and sometimes they don't know how to, they, they don't even know how to go to Google to look for that information. And maybe they just need a few words of what they a general idea of the of this and they they start by their own but i love when they come back and they they t- told me giovanna i got this and this and now i'm doing this and i'm doing that because you were the motivation of that because you answered my message and that's why i'm here and everything that i have done is because of you i don't like this kind of messages because i think when someone write to you, it's because they want to grow. It's, it's not for me, it's for themselves. So I think it's the best thing that we can do. Not a, I think a lot of people write to us. I, I, I know that we don't have time, but maybe maybe a message to understand what they really need because sometimes they don't know, they don't know how, they, or how to do things or why they need to grow. So uh, that's something that I really like because uh, I think we can do a lot of things with just a little, just some minutes of our time. No, I definitely absolutely agree with you. But I think the biggest thing also is, is just pe- people, if you're listening, make sure you just your approach is right when you message people on LinkedIn. Um, so you, you're only going to get a response as good as the question that you are asking. So make sure you're asking good questions. Make sure you are adding value to, to the person on the, the other end of the screen, as it were. And, um, you know, I think we're all here to help. Um, we're all here to, to help out. Uh, and, you know, w- one thing that I do is I get so many questions and so many of the questions are the same questions. And so what do I do? I just take those questions and I ask the people that come onto my podcast, those questions. Uh, so, I, I, and I point people to the podcast. I'm like, you know what? That question has been asked by me so many times and I've asked it to, that same question I've asked to like, you know, 75 different industry leaders by this point, go ahead, listen to it, get some research in. Um, thank you very much. I think that was a really excellent way to close today's office hours. You guys take care have a good rest of the weekend. If you haven't already listened to the episode I released today with Keith McCormick, I don't know if you guys know who Keith McCormick is. He's got a bunch of courses on LinkedIn learning. He's taught over 250,000 students. Um, absolutely enjoyed my conversation with him that guy is so cool i want to be him when i grow up Uh, check the interview out let me know what you guys think take care guys have a great weekend we'll be back here same time next week and until then remember you got one life on this planet why not try to do something big cheers everyone